0: Section 28 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Chapter 8. Religious War in Germany by A.F. Pollard. Part 2 negotiations were first opened with ulm which stood out strongly for a religious guarantee but was ultimately satisfied with a verbal promise that it should enjoy the same advantages in that respect as maurice of saxony and the hohenzollerns the agreement was concluded on december the twenty-third and similar terms were soon arranged with memmingen Biberach, Heilbronn, Eslingen, and Reutlingen—all of them among the original fourteen Protestant cities of 1529. Frankfurt submitted two days before the end of the year, and Augsburg and Strasburg in January 1547. Augsburg was moved by the influence of the big trading families. Anton Fugger conducted the negotiations. And the city contented itself with Granville's oral promise of religious toleration. Next came Strasbourg, the surrender of which caused Bucer and Jacob Sturm some bitter pangs. But the dangerous proximity of the city to France and Switzerland induced Charles to offer exceptionally liberal terms. The others were all compelled to contribute as much to the emperor's war expenses as they had to his opponents. By February, all the South German cities had yielded, with the exception of Constance, and the Protestant princes of the South could no longer hold out. Charles's old friend, the Elector Palatine, Frederick II, the lover of his sister and the husband of his niece, and his old enemy, Ulrich of Württemberg, both came to crave his forgiveness the elector suffered nothing beyond reproaches but Ulrich was forced to pay an indemnity of three hundred thousand crowns to surrender some of his strongest fortresses to permanent imperial garrisons and to engage in service against his former allies he was fortunate to escape so lightly he had not learnt wisdom with years and his people detested his rule, Ferdinand pressed for the abrogation of the Treaty of Caden and the restitution of the duchy. But Charles was afraid that such a step would revive Bavarian and other jealousies of the Habsburg power in the northwest too. The imperial cause made strides at the end of January. Imperial commissioners were sent to enforce the long-threatened Catholic restoration in Cologne. The Protestant Archbishop, Hermann von Vied, had been suspended by the Pope and his offer to abdicate in return for a guarantee for the maintenance of Protestantism was rejected. Count Adolf of Schoenberg was elected coadjutor. On February the 25th, Hermann resigned and Catholicism was forcibly re-established. In the same month, Duke Henry of Brunswick captured Minden and regained his duchy. For these successes, the inactivity of Landgrave Philip was largely responsible. At the critical moment, his former vigour was lost in vacillation. His son-in-law, Maurice, was seeking to separate him from the elector, and Philip gave Maurice, warning when John Frederick marched against him. But he could not make up his mind to accept the terms that were offered, and the final catastrophe, which he did nothing to avert, left him at Charles's uncovenanted mercy. The landgrave and the elector seemed to have exchanged their accustomed parts. For while Philip was wasting the precious moments, John Frederick was exerting himself with unwonted resolution and success. Maurice's treachery had alienated the whole of Saxony, and John Frederick's appearance at the beginning of December, fifteen forty-six, was the signal for a great outburst of enthusiasm for his cause. He rapidly recovered the whole of his own territories, extended his influence over the seas of Mersburg. Halberstadt and magdeburg and invaded albertine saxony he defeated and captured margrave albrecht of kulmbach at rochlitz and overran all maurice's lands with the exception of leipzig his cousin complained that most of his subjects favoured john frederick and thought of fleeing to konersberg the lutherans of lusatia and Silesia and the Eutroquists of Bohemia refused to follow Ferdinand in support of Maurice. They were much more anxious to preserve their own lands from Spanish troops. They entered into negotiations with John Frederick, threatened to withdraw their allegiance from Ferdinand, whose hold on the Bohemian throne was at that moment weakened by the death of his wife, the daughter of vladislav ii and received john frederick with open arms when he crossed the frontier north germany seemed at last to be roused to a sense of danger a league was in course of formation including magdeburg bremen brunswick and hamburg and christopher of oldenburg and albrecht of mansfield were prepared to support it at this moment when the fortune of war seemed to be turning the tide began to set against charles in other quarters the spiritual and the temporal head of christendom could never agree long together even when fighting a common foe and charles v and paul iii were now at enmity the emperor had demanded the council of trent because a council was essential to his policy the pope had summoned the council because he could not help it. Charles wanted to reform the papacy. Paul did not. Paul desired an emphatic restatement of dogma. Charles, with his eye on wavering Lutherans, required a discreet silence, and this fundamental difference between the imperial and papal parties soon provoked a breach. So early as July 1546, there were rumours that the Pope would remove the council to an Italian city where it would be under his exclusive control. And against this proposal, Charles protested in October. His concessions to his Lutheran allies and to the southwestern cities offended papal orthodoxy, while his success in the field alarmed a pope who dreaded nothing so much as a drastic reform of the church at the hands of a militant emperor. In January 1547, the publication of the decrees of the council on the question of justification by faith extinguished Charles's chances of conciliating the Lutherans, and at the same moment, Paul did what he could to prevent their subjection by recalling the papal contingent. To such a pass had things come that the Pope was rejoicing at the electors' successes, and in March the Council of Trent, on the pretext of the plague, removed to Bologna. The emperor now joined the Lutherans in refusing to recognise the council's authority, while papal agents stirred up plots against the imperialists in Siena and Venice, Genoa and Naples. Charles overwhelmed the Pope and his legate with abuse, and his threats to find a remedy for this evil again turned men's thoughts back, to 1527, but first he must deal with a successful rebel in northern Germany. John Frederick, however, was not really dangerous, and the successive deaths of Henry VIII, January 28, and Francis I, March 31st, guaranteed Charles immunity from external complications. Charles rose to the crisis and wisely determined, in spite of Granville's protests to march north himself. He spent Easter at Eger, and on April 13th crossed the Saxon frontier. The elector had formed a prudent plan of avoiding pitched battles, retiring to Magdeburg, and leaving Charles to fritter away his strength in sieges. But unfortunately for himself, John Frederick could not resist the temptation to keep in touch with Bohemia whence he expected material help so he stationed part of his forces on the bohemian frontier and with the rest occupied messen on the right bank of the elbe charles advanced by rapid marches through Plauen, altenburg and colditz cut off the elector from Thuringia, and threatened his communications with the north where he trusted in case of defeat to find refuge. Alarmed by this movement, John Frederick broke up his camp at Messen and made his way down the Elbe towards Wittenberg. He hoped that Charles would march on Messen and thus give him time to escape. But the Emperor went straight for Mulberg, where he found the elector at 9am on April the 24th. A bridge of boats was moored to the right bank of the Elbe, but some Spaniards swam the river with swords in their mouths, cut down the guards, and secured the bridge. By it, the bulk of the infantry crossed, while the cavalry found a ford higher up. Without attempting to defend his position, the elector commenced a retreat to the north. About sunset, the imperialists overtook him and routed his slender forces with great slaughter. John Frederick fought with conspicuous courage and was brought into the emperor's presence with blood streaming from a wound in his cheek charles was not generous in the hour of victory he taunted the elector with his previous disobedience while ferdinand demanded his execution a sentence of death was actually passed but it was only used to extort the surrender of wittenberg which the spanish troops were afraid to storm by the capitulation of wittenberg maurice received his cousin's electoral dignity and a considerable slice of his territories while sagan and the voigtland fell to the share of ferdinand john frederick was carried about a prisoner in the emperor's suite but no threats could shake his steadfast adherence to the lutheran faith and three years later charles secretly decreed that his detention should last as long as his life from the elector he turned to the landgrave whose submission was delayed by the successful resistance of bremen to eric of brunswick and christopher von risberg and by the defeat much more sanguinary than the battle of mulberg which christopher of oldenburg and albrecht of mansfield inflicted upon the imperialists near the drakensberg but these victories only saved the baltic lands in the west Philip could find no support, and after much hesitation he was induced to surrender by Maurice and Joachim of Brandenburg. The two princes pledged their word to Philip that he should not be imprisoned, but for this they apparently had no warrant. The popular legend that the term, ohne Einigen Gefangis, without any imprisonment, was altered by a secretary to Onay Iwigan Gefangenis, without perpetual imprisonment. Has no satisfactory basis, but it is clear that both Philip and the two princes understood that the landgrave should go free. And there were high words between them and Alva, when, after Philip had made his submission, June the 20th, the Duke placed him under arrest. Such had been Charles's intention throughout, does not appear to have encouraged any deception and subsequently the two princes admitted that the mistake had been theirs it was an unfortunate mistake for charles's reputation but for the rest philip escaped more lightly than john frederick a circumstance which he owed to maurice and not to his deserts in fifteen fifty his term of detention was fixed at fifteen years he was to dismantle all his fortresses save one and to give up his artillery his territories were to remain intact and his people unmolested on account of their religion though subsequently half of the darmstadt was transferred from hesse to the house of nassen in the northeast of germany the dukes of pomerania made peace with charles through their agent bartholomew Sastro whose memoirs present a gloomy picture of the condition of Germany during the war. Bremen held out, but more important was the resistance of Magdeburg, which ultimately defied all the force which Maurice was able or willing to bring against it. A proposal to bring Albrecht of Prussia to terms was rejected lest warlike measures should precipitate a conflict with his suzerain Sigismund of Poland but in bohemia ferdinand used his opportunity to crush its remaining constitutional liberties and to reduce it to a footing more nearly resembling that of his own hereditary lands except for constance and these outlying regions on the baltic charles was now dictator in germany no emperor since frederick the second had wielded such power and at the Diet of Augsburg, which was opened on September 1st, 1547, he endeavoured to reap the fruits of his victory. He never had a greater opportunity, but the inherent antagonism between the aims of the Habsburg dynasty and those of the German nation was too fundamental to be eradicated by the defeat of a section of Lutheran princes. The constitutional reforms which he laid before the Diet were inspired by the same family motives which actuated charles in 1521 and they provoked the same kind of national and territorial opposition bavaria reverted to its natural attitude partly because charles had quarrelled with the pope but more because he had not repaid bavaria for her exertions in the war by an increase of territory nor shown any inclination to transfer the electoral dignity of the Palatinate from his old friend, the elector Frederick II, to Duke William. Maurice was not satisfied with the partial ruin of his cousin, and felt that Charles had purposely left his position insecure. The Emperor's first object was to strengthen the executive with a view to preventing such outbreaks as the Peasants' War, the Anabaptist Revolt, the lawless enterprises of lubeck and philip of hesse's conquests of Württemberg and brunswick a proposal for the preservation of peace would naturally meet with much support but that support was neutralized by the conviction that the league which charles proposed to establish on the model of the old swabian league was really designed to strengthen the habsburgs against other princes and against the nation itself the League was to embrace the whole of Germany, to be directed by a number of permanent officials who, although representative of the various orders, would tend to fall under government influence and to have at its disposal an efficient military force. This League and its organisation was to lie entirely outside the ordinary constitution of the empire, and the electors discovered the chief motive for it in the fact that the habsburgs would command a far greater share of influence in it than they did in the three councils which constituted the diet however the real flaw in the emperor's plan was that he did not seek to reform the diet but left it standing while a new organization was introduced which was bound to come into conflict with existing institutions and could only supersede them after a long and wearisome constitutional struggle. Both its good points and its defects excited discontent. The territorial princes feared to lose their hold over mediate lords when the latter would look not to them, but to the League for protection. The cities dreaded the expense of having to keep internal and external peace in outlying lands like Burgundy and the Austrian duchies. Bavaria had resolved to refuse, even if all the other estates agreed. The College of Electors was unanimously hostile. The Diet, as a whole, disliked a measure which would bring its own authority into dispute, and Charles dropped the proposal without a struggle. He was more fortunate in his reconstitution of the Reichskammergericht. He arrogated to himself the immediate nomination of its judges reserved to his own Hofgericht questions of church property and episcopal jurisdiction and persuaded the Diet to adopt a codification of the principles by which the action of the court should be governed, and to promise contributions for the court's support. He was able to defy the remonstrances addressed to him on account of the Spanish troops which, contrary to his election pledges, he had quartered in the empire. He secured the establishment of a fund for the maintenance of internal and external peace, which was not, however, to be used without the Diet's consent, and obtained preferential treatment for the Netherlands by means of a perpetual treaty between them and the empire. They were to contribute to national taxation, but to be exempt from the national jurisdiction. They were thus partly removed from imperial control, though Germany was perpetually bound to the arduous task of their defence. The transfer of Utrecht and Gelders to the Burgundian circle was a mark of their incorporation in the Habsburg inheritance. Meanwhile, religion naturally occupied much of the attention of Charles and the Diet. The Emperor vowed that even when in the field against his enemies, he had thought more about the Church than the war, and it was incumbent upon him to attempt some sort of solution at the Diet of Augsburg. The problem, difficult in any case, was rendered infinitely more so by his strained relations with the Pope, which the murder of Paul's son, Per Luigi Farnese. On September the 10th, 1547, with the suspected connivance of Ferrante de Gonzaga, the governor of Milan of Granville, and even of Charles himself, did nothing to improve. The Pope was hardened in his determination not to let the council leave Bologna. The Emperor obtained a unanimous recognition from the estates to the effect that the prelate remaining at Trent constituted the only true council. They also approved of Charles's refusal to publish the Tridentine Decrees, and going further than he desired, they demanded that scripture should be the test applied to all doctrines, and that the members of the council should be released from their oaths to the Pope, in order that they might more effectually reform the papacy. In the name of the German nation, Charles formally required the return of the council to Trent, and when this was refused, his two representatives, Vargas and Velasco, solemnly protested on January eighteenth, 1548, against all future acts of the council at Bologna, declaring them null and void. Was Charles also among the prophets? He, even as Philip of Hesse and John Frederick of Saxony, had protested against a general council and refused to be bound by its decrees had he been as devoid of religious scruples as maurice of saxony or henry of navarre and had he had only german feelings to consult he would in 1548 have become an ostensible protestant but charles would never have bought a kingdom with a mass he preferred to lose a kingdom for a mass and in spite of his enmity with the papacy, he was bent on making Germany Catholic and on using his victory to decide questions upon which he had declared the struggle would not be fought. At the same time, his refusal to accept the Tridentine decrees as the standard of faith made it necessary for him to evolve some criterion of his own which should serve its purpose during the interval until a general council. Should formulate conclusions acceptable both to him and the Pope. With this object in view, after a fruitless discussion by a committee consisting of representative laymen as well as ecclesiastics, he took into consultation Michael Helding, the suffragan bishop of Mainz, who represented the high Catholic point of view, the Erasmian Julius von Plug whom the result of the Schmalkaldic War had at last established as Bishop of Nomburg, and John Agricola, whose views were Lutheran of a moderate type. The compromise known as the Interim, which this commission drew up, conceded clerical marriages, the use of the cup by the laity, and accepted a modification of the doctrine of justification by faith. Pflug also explained away enough of the sacrificial character of the Mass to satisfy some of the Lutherans and denied some of the prerogatives claimed by the Pope. On the other hand, the interim retained all the seven sacraments, the worship of the Virgin and the Saints, fasts, processions and other Catholic ceremonies and reaffirmed the dogma of transubstantiation. The reception of the interim by the College of Electors was on the whole favourable. Joachim of Brandenburg rejoiced to see included in it the three concessions which formed the basis of his compact with Charles in 1541. The elector-Palatine concurred. Maurice wanted to consult his estates, but Charles represented to him that no provincial assembly could override the decisions of a diet. The Emperor had more to fear from the College of Princes, where the Bishops and Bavaria were preponderant on the Catholic side. The Count Palatine Wolfgang of Newmark and Margrave Hans of Quistrin, as zealous Lutherans, offered a strenuous opposition. Duke William of Bavaria had Catholic and other scruples and referred them to the Pope. Paul III had also conscientious scruples, and remembered pierre luigi he replied that the emperor had nothing to do with the matters of doctrine which must be reserved for the council at bologna points on which the council had already decided should be adopted without alteration by the diet and on questions which the council had not yet settled the interim contained several assertions repugnant to the catholic faith armed with this opinion the college of princes resolved that all church property must be restored that the concession of the cup to the laity and of clerical marriages could only be made effective by papal dispensation and above all that the interim must not apply to catholic territories in other words the compromise was to bind one party but not the other and lutherans were to accept such concessions as they had obtained Subject to the Pope's grace and favour. Charles was incensed at this attempt to spoil the Concordat and told the princes that they must accept the articles as they stood. This they refused to do. The Emperor was compelled to give an assurance that the interim had no other object than the conversion of backsliders from the faith, and several alterations were made in its wording without the knowledge of the Protestants. In this form the interim was proclaimed as an edict on May 15, 1548, but the vague terms in which the elector of Mainz expressed the Diet's concurrence did not imply that unanimous concurrence which Charles read into its declaration. It needed more than sleight of hand to compel the edict's observance, but charles was resolved to stick at no measures however violent he disregarded the oral assurances given to the cities before their surrender and his counsellor Hays averred that spanish troops should teach him the catholic truth at augsburg and ulm the city franchises were violated the democratic councils purged of refractory members and their places supplied by rich catholic merchants like the Fuggers and the Welsers, Constance yielded after a brilliant defence of its bridge, which recalled the exploit of Horatius Cochlus, and surrendered its privileges as an imperial city to be merged in the Habsburg domains. Divines who refused to submit became exiles. Osiander left Nurnberg, Brenz left Swabian Hall and, and Blair Constance. Schneff was driven from Tubingen, and Bucer and Fagius from Strasbourg. The last two found a home in Cambridge, and many others came to spread the doctrines of reform in England. Over four hundred divines are said to have left southern Germany. In northern Germany, the rulers who had submitted to Charles generally accepted the interim, but Maurice was compelled to pay tribute to Lutheran sentiment, and employed for this purpose Bishop Flug of Nürnberg, the most conciliatory of Catholic divines. He was met in the same spirit by Melanchthon, who, much to the emperor's annoyance, still enjoyed safety and power in Wittenberg. Melanchthon's attitude was similar to that of 1530, and aroused much discontent among the bolder Lutherans. His criticisms of Luther and John Frederick seemed oblivious of his former relations with them and of the facts that one was dead and the other in prison. At a conference with the Catholics at Pagow, he gave away much of the Lutheran case, but the interim met with greater resistance at a second debate at Torgau in October 1548 and was likened to the forbidden fruit with which Eve tempted Adam. At Cell, however, in the following month, its advocates once more prevailed, and the formulary which they drew up was adopted at a Saxon Diet at Leipzig. Thence it took the name of the Leipzig Interim and became the rule for Saxon lands. Over almost the whole of Germany, the interim was now enforced, and Charles was so elated by his success that he thought of pressing its acceptance upon the Scandinavian kingdoms, upon England, and even upon Russia. Yet his triumph was illusory and short-lived. Even Melanchthon, who conformed, secretly counselled resistance, and people followed his private precept rather than his public example. Three years later, two English ambassadors at Charles's court gave a description of the situation in Augsburg. An imperial commission had charged the ministers of that city with preaching against the interim and refusing to say mass in their churches. The divines replied that they durst say none, being more loath to offend God than willing to please man. The apostles had neither said nor heard mass, and for themselves if they were in fault, the fault was no new one, for they had said no masses for fourteen years. They were then compelled to leave the city, which remained disconsolate. There were few shops in which people might not be seen in tears. A hundred women besieged the emperor's gates, howling and asking in their outcries where they should christen their children and where they should marry. For all this, the papist churches have no more customers than they had, not ten of the townsmen in some of their greatest synagogues. The churches where the Protestants, did by thousands at once communicate, are locked up, and the people, being robbed of all their godly exercises, sit weeping and wailing at home. Strasburg and Nurnberg were in no better mood when Charles required the young Duke Christopher of Württemberg to expel John Brenns. He replied that he was as willing as the Emperor to do so, but it was not in his power unless he could expel all his subjects with him. Against a spirit like this, the emperor laboured in vain. It availed him little that Paul III, in his dying days, recognised the interim and dissolved the council at Bologna, that Julius III repaired his predecessor's error and sent his prelates to Trent, where Charles's bishops still kept up the continuity of the council or that in January 1552 some Protestant delegates appeared there and reinforced the opposition to the Pope. The reunion did not assuage the struggle between papal and imperial influence. In the demand that the points already decided must be reconsidered, Vargas, Charles V's representative, concurred with the Protestants and wrote to the Emperor a series of letters exposing the papal intrigues at the previous sessions of the council which had been used with effect by protestant historians he even welcomed the proposal of maurice's commissioners that doctrine should be tested by the scriptures and pressed hotly for a practical reformation of the papacy it was charles's view that if the lutherans would come within the pale of the church as he defined it they would be useful allies against the Pope. But his definition was the interim, and the effort to force that definition on his subjects electrified the atmosphere and prepared it for the storm which Charles's dynastic and absolutist projects brought down upon his head. Nothing illustrates more vividly Charles's incurable want of sympathy with his German subjects Or the incompatibility of his family ambitions with the national tendencies of the age than his attempt to force his son Philip into the seat of the German emperors. National antipathy to France had contributed more than anything else to his own election. Yet he thought he could defy a far deeper hostility to the Spaniards. The foreign character of his own aims had been responsible for much of the opposition he experienced in Germany though he had at least been brought up in nominally imperial territory. Yet he imagined that Philip could succeed, who had lived all his life in Spain and was purely Spanish in feeling. No Spaniard had hitherto ruled in Germany, for Alfonso of Castile can scarcely be cited as an exception, and the Reformation added to other causes, made it impossible that a Spaniard should ever rule there in the future. Spain and Germany represented opposite poles of religious and political ideals, and the attempt to unite them under one rule would inevitably have proved as disastrous in Germany as a similar attempt did in the Netherlands. Charles, in fact, was a hybrid physically, politically, and to some extent ecclesiastically, and the parts of his cosmopolitan empire necessarily reverted to their original national types in his endeavour to perform the impossible charles nearly produced a rupture in the habsburg family and alienated all the german princes his plan was that philip should be elected king of the romans when ferdinand became emperor and that thus after ferdinand's death the empire should remain with the elder line of the family ferdinand was led to believe however that the design extended to philip's immediate succession And his own exclusion from the throne, and this was the current suspicion in Germany. He long and strenuously opposed his brother's plan, and the quarrel between them was only patched up by the intervention of their sister Maria from the Netherlands. Eventually, it was agreed, 1551, that Philip should succeed Ferdinand, but that Ferdinand's son, Maximilian, should succeed Philip this healed the family breach but had no effect on the other german princes and the electors with wise regard for their own interests and national liberties unanimously refused even to consider the scheme the whole nation in fact was growing day by day more hostile to charles and his spanish troops the garrisons scattered throughout the empire few though they were in numbers created the impression that germany was a conquered country and spanish arrogance lost no opportunity of bringing this sense home to the german mind granville was suspected of harbouring a design for the partition of germany hatred which was at first limited to the spaniards themselves began to embrace the emperor as he repeatedly refused to listen to the diet's complaints of their conduct and of his infraction of his engagements. He also wounded military feelings by forbidding the service of German mercenaries in foreign armies, a practice which he had often licensed himself, and by summarily hanging Sebastian Vogelsberger for defying his commands. Discontent was expressed with Charles's proposal to invest his son with the Netherlands on terms which rendered those provinces and hereditary appanage of the habsburg family independent of the empire and transmissible to female heirs and even catholics were offended at the persecution to which philip of hesse and john frederick were subjected the former believed that the emperor intended to carry him off to spain and when he attempted to escape his german guards were exchanged for spaniards the three late electors most of the princes and even ferdinand petitioned for philip's release but charles turned a deaf ear and decided that his detention should last for fifteen years though he was afraid to publish the sentence while charles's popularity in germany was being thus undermined his prestige abroad was rapidly waning his power in germany from fifteen forty seven To 1550, had really rested upon a fortunate coincidence of external circumstances the absorption of England and France in their mutual struggles and the diversion of the Turks to the east. But such a combination of propitious conditions could not last. By 1550, France had recovered Boulogne, established her influence in Scotland, and compelled England to make peace and it was generally anticipated that this peace would be followed by war with the emperor the naval warfare in the mediterranean between dragut and charles's admirals began to go against the imperialists and the loss of tripoli august fifteen fifty one more than counterbalanced the previous gain of Mahdia. the turk again turned his attention towards hungary where the remnants of Zapolya's kingdom acknowledged the nominal sway of his son, but the real rule of George Martinuzzi, his domination proving intolerable to Zapolya's widow, she appealed to the Sultan while Martinuzzi sought to make terms with Ferdinand. Ferdinand's request for assistance from the Diet was coldly received by Charles, and his envoy in Transylvania. Castaldo, suspecting that Martinuzzi intended treachery, had him murdered with Ferdinand's connivance, December 1551. The Turks thereupon began to advance, while the disputes of the Farnese in Italy, where France supported Orazio and the Emperor Ottavio, brought Henry II and Charles to the verge of war. Under these circumstances, men began to desert the Emperor's failing cause. Maurice, who had betrayed his cousin, would not adhere too scrupulously to Charles. He was highly unpopular in Saxony on account of his religious backsliding and his political treachery, and unless he found independent means of support, he would go down with the emperor's ruin. His own subjects were already thinking of placing his brother Augustus in his place, and his nobles declined to assist him in the siege of magdeburg so gradually he began to dissociate himself from the emperor's fortunes he supported maximilian in his opposition to philip's succession and the landgrave's sons in their attempt to secure some mitigation of their father's lot he obtained in the autumn of fifteen fifty a useful basis of operations being entrusted by the diet in spite of the reluctance of Charles, who already suspected his intentions with the conduct of the siege of Magdeburg. That city had been placed under the ban of the empire for its continued resistance to Charles and his religious measures. On September 22nd, 1550, its troops had been defeated by Duke George of Mecklenburg but the citizens spurned all proposals for submission. Their indomitable resistance had stirred a fever of enthusiasm in Lutheran Germany, and the acceptance of the task of subduing them evoked renewed taunts of Judas against the Saxon usurper. But it was not Protestantism which Maurice intended to betray this time. His character remains to this day an enigma elaborate attempts have been made to represent him not merely as the ablest statesman of his age but as the champion of german protestantism consistently working in its interest according to this theory his original desertion of the schmalkaldic league was only a necessary step towards his ultimate victory over charles and the forces of reaction to others his career appears to be a masterpiece of treachery and maurice himself a subtle intriguer comparable only with his contemporary the duke of northumberland who like him played an unscrupulous and selfish part under the mask of religion in maurice the territorial ambition of german princes found its most skilful exponent his religious creed was but an accident of circumstances. No pronounced Catholic could have maintained himself in ducal Saxony or held the Ernestine electorate, but Charles's help was indispensable for the overthrow of John Frederick, and Charles's help could not be purchased without some concessions to orthodoxy. This object having been achieved, Maurice proceeded to rid himself. Of a dangerously unpopular ally, and he was as successful in choosing the right moment for leaving Charles as he had been when he deserted the Schmalkaldic League End of section twenty eight